So the question, you know, we got to ask ourselves this morning, what in the world are we doing playing Bohemian Rhapsody and, uh, you know, Behind Blue Eyes and Boulevard of Broken Dreams? What are we doing, doing those kind of songs uh, in church? And if you uh, have ever gone on YouTube to see the last time that we did Bohemian Rhapsody, if you follow along, and a couple of people in the second service were doing this, follow along some of the comments that people are bringing up. They're asking, like, what in the world is this church thinking when they're doing Bohemian Rhapsody? They said, do you know there's a line in there that talks about Beelzebub has a devil set aside for me? Well, yeah, and I kind of want to say, do you know that there's a line in the Bible that talks about Beelzebub, you know, and, and that sort of thing, you know? Like, hello, but, but anyway, why are we doing these kinds of songs? Why are we doing songs that talk about anger or frustration or broken dreams and hopelessness and despair and guilt and shame and, you know, you name it, all that, that negative stuff. Why are we doing that? Why do we, why do we sing songs about that in church? Well, because we have a God who addresses those issues and if we don't talk about them in church, where are we going to talk about them, you know? We've got to understand what the response of the God of the universe is to the garbage that we go through on a day-to-day basis because that's not how he designed the world. It wasn't his intent that the stuff that's in those songs, it wasn't his intent that we were going to have to go through those things. And so the question is, and the question we want to ask ourselves today is, What's God's response to all this? What does God think about it? What does he do about it? You know, does he care and, and how does he respond? And the answer is so incredibly counterintuitive that I wouldn't have thought of it in a million years. I, I could have come up with dozens and dozens and dozens of different responses that God might have had, but never in my entire lifetime what I thought of the response that he's had. And it's just unbelievably amazing what he did. And I want to get to that response by going through uh, Ground Zero, uh, the site where the the World Trade Center used to be. Earlier uh, this summer, I actually had a couple of opportunities to visit Ground Zero this summer. We were, um, a couple of us were taking some friends from out of town, uh, taking them on a tour of the city. And so we stopped by Ground Zero because they had not seen that and we wanted to show it to them. And as we were there, one of the sites I wanted to see that I hadn't seen before is there's a uh, cross that they pulled from the rubble. It was actually two uh, steel girders that had fallen. They were in the, in the form of a cross. And it had to be moved from ground zero because of the construction that was going on. And it's actually up against the side of a church. I think it's called St. Peter's, a block or so away. And they're going to bring it back, uh, I think, to be part of the memorial. But this cross, along with several others, was found uh, by one of the workers in the middle of the rubble uh, near the North Tower. And uh, it was actually found, I think, September 13th, two days after the towers collapsed. And this worker was, I don't know whether he was searching uh, for, you know, for, for hopefully for survivors or whether he's just part of the cleanup. But when he came into this one area with a bunch of rubble, he noticed that uh, several girders, several steel girders had fallen and were standing upright in the form of a cross. And there were actually uh, three or four or five of these different crosses uh, standing upright there. And uh, he was a follower of Christ, and his response was, oh my goodness, here is, here's a sign of, of comfort and of hope and of peace in the midst of all this death and destruction. And so he spray-painted a sign so people could see where it was. And over the, the ensuing days and weeks and months, dozens and dozens and probably hundreds of people 
came to that area where those crosses were, and it became kind of a shrine. You know, um, uh, some of the workers who just, it was so tough for them to deal with this on a day-to-day basis. They would go there, uh, and they would cry, and they would uh, mourn, and they would pray. They'd find comfort, and and people who lost loved ones uh, would do the same thing. And so in the midst of all this, they would see these crosses and find hope and comfort. Others thought it was kind of ridiculous uh, you know, to, to do that, but I don't think anybody who has any understanding of Christianity uh, could disagree with the fact that there are people who are followers of Christ who see comfort in a cross. We wear you know, crosses around our necks or earrings, you know, and, and we see that as a symbol of comfort. But if we could take somebody from the first century, from the time when, uh, when Jesus was on the earth, if we could take them and transport them forward in some sort of a time machine and ask them what their reaction is to a cross or a bunch of crosses you know, in a scene of destruction, they would think we're nuts. To them, the cross is a sign of death and of execution and of despair and of hopelessness. It's kind of like, imagine... If instead of finding some, some steel beams in the form of a cross, this worker had found some steel beams with some rope hanging over it in the form of a noose, there's no way they would have seen that as, as a symbol of hope and, and comfort because the hangman's noose to us is a symbol of death. It's, it's what's used for execution. And that's what the cross was used for in the first century. And so the question is, how did this symbol of death and and of destruction, of fear, of hopelessness, of despair, of hatred, how did that get transformed into a symbol that is really recognized around the world by followers of Christ as a a symbol of hope and of life uh, and of comfort? And ironically, what it took to make that transformation was the death of a Jewish carpenter on a Roman cross, and it turned that Roman cross into a Christian symbol of hope. A Jew dies on a Roman cross, and it becomes a Christian symbol of hope. And I never would have thought of that in a million years. Amazing uh, what God did there. And I want to just explore a little bit uh, in, the, in the few minutes that we have, just a little bit uh, of the significance of that and what he did and what a difference it can make in our lives uh, on a day-to-day basis as we're dealing with the themes uh, that we're talking about this morning in those songs uh, that our guys sang for us. Several hundred years before uh, Jesus came, a prophet in the Old Testament named Isaiah uh, wrote a passage that has been really great for me these last couple of weeks just as, as uh, I've been recovering from my concussion. Broken ribs were a pain. The concussion has been much more of a bother uh, than the broken ribs. But um, Isaiah chapter 53. So I just want to share this passage with you. Isaiah writes, Surely he, and he's referring to the Messiah who we now know as Jesus, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, But he was pierced. Think about that in light of a crucifixion. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned 
to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin or the brokenness or the fallenness of us all. I just want to give you three uh, quick observations uh, from this passage. First, notice how many times Jesus' sacrifice is contrasted with our brokenness. Jesus suffered and died in our place. Verse four, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Verse five, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Punishment that brought us peace was put on him. By his wounds, we are healed. And it goes on, it continues on and talks over and over and over again how Christ substituted himself, his life for our life, his death for our life. You know, Jesus, really second observation here, Jesus' death brought us life. His suffering brings us comfort and hope. I mean, who would have thought of that? God suffers so that we don't have to suffer. God dies so that we can have life. God, Jesus was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken by God. And and this is just one of the incredible things that's true, that's part of that response that God has to all the evil and the suffering and the the difficulty and the challenges uh, that we face. Third thing I want to point out, and it's not so much obvious from this passage, but you find it all throughout the New Testament. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. He chose to do it. Nobody forced him Nobody made him do it. He chose uh, to do it willingly. He died because he loved us. Not because he had to do it, but because he wanted to do it. He chose the cross. He embraced death in order to defeat it and to give us life. He took on pain in order to wipe it out so that we could have comfort. He suffered so that we could have hope. And he did all of that willingly because that's the kind of God that he is. And it's just so amazing. And his, his, his followers, who in the New Testament are, are spoken of as his disciples, his followers didn't get this at first. When uh, he was crucified on a Friday, and uh, Friday night, Saturday, you know, all day, they're hiding, they're worried. See, Jesus was crucified as a, as a Roman criminal, And because they were associated with Jesus, they were afraid that they too uh, might be caught by the authorities and, you know, maybe meet the same kind of fate that he did. They didn't understand what he was doing there. But then when he rose again uh, on Easter Sunday morning and appeared to them, they began to have hope and they began to understand what was going on. And over the next, really, I think it was probably several months and maybe even a few years, they gained a fuller and fuller and fuller understanding of of the significance of what Jesus had done on the cross. And so for them, when Jesus was crucified, that cross was a symbol of defeat. It was a symbol of hopelessness. It was a symbol of death. But as the years went by, for the followers of Christ, the cross was transformed from a symbol of death to a symbol of hope and a symbol of life. And I want to take a look at, at three passages that uh, the Apostle Paul, who was a follower of Christ, uh, wrote in the New Testament and, and some of the implications and how this can make a difference in our lives, you know, when we sing the blues. We, I woke up in the morning and, you know, whatever it is, whatever I'm facing, 
whether it's the junk that's going on, uh, that's being done to me, uh, all, you know, someone's betrayed me, I've lost my job, I'm sick, uh, you know, whatever it happens to be, whether it's the junk that's going on inside of me, anger, hatred, letting somebody down, betraying them perhaps, uh, that, that habit that I can't seem to break, whatever it is, uh, that when we wake up in the morning, we can think about these things uh, from what Christ has done on the cross for us, and we can find hope and we can find comfort. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And if you're not familiar with uh, the history, the life of the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was, he was a guy named Saul who uh, dedicated his life to persecuting Christians, to persecuting followers of Christ. He'd track them down, have them arrested, and if he could, he'd have them executed. So when Paul is writing, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. He knows that from personal experience because if anybody deserved to be condemned, he did and he recognizes that and he says, you know what? Because of what Christ has done on the cross, I'm not condemned. He was condemned so that I don't have to be. So when you think about what's going on in your life and and all of us, all of us have regrets and at times the the word regret is, is, is too small. It's too little. It doesn't capture you know, the, the depth of the guilt and the shame uh, that's going on in our hearts. Uh, there's no condemnation. God does not condemn us. We don't need to condemn ourselves and we don't need to let anybody else condemn us if we're followers of Christ because Christ has died for us. Think about the cross itself. The way crucifixion worked was the, the, the condemned person was made to carry the crossbeam, the horizontal uh, wooden piece, on their shoulders, and their arms were tied to it, and they had to walk through the streets, kind of this, this walk of shame where everybody would see them and was spitting at them and throwing stuff at them and jeering at them, and it's just a, it was a shameful kind of a thing. They were condemned, and everybody knew it, and they were paraded through the streets that way. And then they were hung up on the cross with the charges, their crimes, written on, on a piece of wood probably uh, above their head, nailed to the top of the cross so that everybody could see what they were done. They're hanging there half naked, exposed for the whole world to see. It's a symbol of shame, a symbol of death. And Paul says, because what Christ did when he was on that cross, there's none of that for us anymore. So it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. God loves us and he's taken that punishment for us. Paul in uh, Romans 6 gives us a second, a second promise here. He's talking about uh, that, that the power of sin has been broken in our lives. For we know that our old self, that's who we were before we were followers of Christ, our old self was crucified with Jesus. It's, it's as if when he died on the cross, I died on the cross. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. In that culture, the culture in in, in which Jesus lived, the cross, in a sense, was the ultimate sign of control. The, the, The Romans were an occupying power in Palestine. And so for a for a Jew who lived there to be crucified was the 
ultimate sign of being under the control of another. And so imagine this, the creator of the universe willingly submitted himself to the control of another. He didn't have to do that. He could have, you know, nuked him. It would have wiped him out and it would have been all over. But he chose to do that in order to endure what we deserved so that we could be set free from sin. And he's saying, look, you no longer have to sin. You no longer have to engage in that bad habit, that addiction, that thing that you do over and over and over again. Maybe it's just the thought of your heart that you don't want anybody to know about, that you'd be ashamed if, everyone, if anyone found out about it. We no longer have to do that. We can choose to do it. God doesn't force us not to do it, but he gives us the ability to choose to do what's right as opposed to what's wrong. And we have that freedom because Christ has, has, has bought that for us. And then third, and for me, this has just been, I don't know, for the last probably 30 years since I've been a follower of Christ, this next passage has been so meaningful to me and, and really encouraging uh, in the last few weeks as I've, been, as I've been working through, you know, the concussion and ribs and, and all that. Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Stop there for a second. Look at all those things that are mentioned there. All of those come from outside of us. You know, you lose your job. You get cancer. Loved one dies. All those are coming from outside of us. It's not, those are not things from our hearts. Those are things that are in some sense maybe done to us. None of those can separate us from the love of God, nor can anything that's going on inside of us, nor can anything that we do, either in our hearts or with our bodies, separate us from the love of God if we're followers of Christ. Paul continues on, he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, there's the whole Beelzebub thing. You know, Freddie Mercury's writing about that. Yeah, at some level he's right. But Jesus, what Paul is saying here is because of what Christ has done, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when the world has fallen apart around us, whether it's something as, you know, in some sense as minor as you're whacking your head or breaking a rib, or as major as getting cancer or a loved one dying or losing your job or whatever it is. We have a God who loves us and who can comfort us. And, and there is nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from his love. We cannot outsin the love of God. We can't do anything so bad that God won't love us anymore if we are his followers. And that is so incredibly encouraging. So when you ask the question, what was God's response? What's God's response to all the junk in the world, all the brokenness, all the, the shame, the hurt, the pain? What's God's response to that? He embraced it. He chose it. And it was symbolized in the cross. He chose the cross. He chose death. He embraced it in our place so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could enjoy his love and his grace and his peace. And what's our response to that? We need to do the same thing. We need to daily, over and over and over again, choose the cross. I, I have been so frustrated the past few weeks because 
you know, I, most of what I do is using my brain, you know? And I haven't been able to use it as much as when you sit there and you watch TV and it's kind of like you feel, you know, your brain cells degenerating, except they're supposed to be regenerating, you know, as I'm doing that. Try to read and, um, you know, now it's much better, but, but for a while, could barely read. I was taking a walk with Anne first week after my uh, concussion and I was speaking and I, I, middle of one of my sentences and I had to turn to her and say, what are we talking about? And I was the one who was speaking. How unbelievably frustrating. And then I think about what some of you guys are going through and, and that's nothing compared to what you're going through. My, my problems are nothing compared to what you're going through. But over these past few weeks, again and again and again, I've had to come back to the cross and say, there's a God who loves me so much that he died on the cross for me. And that's been such an incredibly comforting thought in the midst of my relatively minor difficulties. And so wherever you are, and I don't know where all of you are in your, in, in, your, in your spiritual journey, maybe you're just starting out. You're just kind of figuring all this stuff out. If you have never come to the place where you have looked at the cross and you've said, you know, Jesus didn't just simply die for the brokenness of the world. He died for my brokenness. He died for my guilt. He died for my sin. He died for my shame. If you've never done that, let me encourage you, do, you know, come to that point, do that, recognize that, and and just tell him, thank you, Lord, for doing that for me. And if, if you're already a follower of Christ, maybe you've been a follower of Christ for weeks, months, years, decades, whatever it is, you got to keep coming back to the cross. The cross is, is the place where we find our hope and our comfort and the love of God. And so whether you're far from God or close to him, all of us need to come to that cross. Jesus chose the cross because he loves us. And we need to choose the cross so that we can experience that love day after day after day. Let's pray. Father, it is so amazing. It is so amazing to think about your response to our brokenness, to the hurt, to the challenges, to all the garbage that we face. Never would have thought of it in a million years. Father, thank you for sending your son, Lord Jesus. Thank you for for dying on the cross for us. Thank you that it's been transformed from a symbol of death to a symbol of life, from a symbol of, of shame and of guilt to a symbol of hope and of freedom and of comfort. And Father, I pray for myself and for my friends here that each of us every day, every moment of every day would keep coming back over and over and over again to that cross where we would find hope and peace and comfort and love. Thank you that you're that kind of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.